we're talking these weeks about weird words in great hymns. And the, uh, the hymn for this morning was Sweet Hour of Prayer. I want us over the next few weeks to look at some of the words that are in those hymns that many of us grew up singing. Specific words that we've said hundreds of times and yet perhaps we, we didn't pause long enough to consider what that word means. It's just part of the song. This morning as we think about sweet hour of prayer, we're going to talk about Mount Pisgah. It's in that, that verse there toward the, uh, uh, the, the end. It's the, the third verse in some hymnals, the, the fourth verse in others. But that last verse, it talked about Mount Pisgah's lofty height. I want us to think about that this morning, about Mount Pisgah. I picked this hymn this morning because uh, this one works on Mother's Day in a special way because it's a, it's a hymn that I remember my mother singing. Maybe you remember your mother singing that hymn. Maybe you remember singing it growing up. I was surprised recently to find out how many people are not familiar with Sweet Hour of Prayer. I, I just thought it was one of those standards everybody knew. And come to find out a lot of my peers and folks younger than me, which there are a bunch of them, um, are not really familiar with the hymn. Matter of fact, I, uh, I, I run a, I moderate a group for Central Texas pastors on Facebook. And I posted on there, you know, that I'm going to talk about Sweet Hour of Prayer. And I've been surprised that so many people aren't familiar. Are you familiar with it? It had a little poll. You know, I, I know it well. We sang it, never heard of it, whatever. And as one pastor commented that in his first pastorate, Sweet Hour of Prayer was one of the five hymns that the pianist knew how to play. And so he said, we sang it almost every week for two and a half years. So, so, so he, he's familiar with it. David, thank you for reminding us of it and uh, helping to bring back those words to our minds from our memories. The hymn was written by William Walford in 1842. I say written, and that's not completely accurate. Walford was blind, so he couldn't really write, but he could preach. Walford was a lay preacher in England. He owned what they called a trinket shop. He'd go in and buy little, little hoosie what's-its and pieces of jewelry. And a lot of the stuff that he sold were little things that he made as he would sit by his fireplace each evening and whittle on wood or bone, he'd make little trinkets or little tools that you could use. And so he had this little trinket shop. As a lay person, though, he was invited to preach quite often. Being blind, he couldn't prepare a sermon like so many other preachers where you read a lot and write a lot. He composed his sermons in his head. And he could even quote Scripture in the sermons. He, 
He quoted so much scripture, by the way, that he gained a reputation and people believed that he probably had memorized the whole Bible. His friend Thomas Salmon was visiting from New York. When Salmon got to the house, he found Walford in that regular spot by the fireplace, whittling and carving on something. And Walford said that he had composed some poems, but there was no one there to write them down for him, so he stored the poems in his head. Salmon agreed to write one down for him, and so Walford recited the poem, Sweet Hour of Prayer. When Salmon returned to New York, he took that poem with him and submitted it to the New York Observer, who printed it in their September 13 issue in 1845. That poem was so well received that it became quite popular. And William Bradbury added music to it and that then became a new hymn that appeared in a Baptist hymnal in 1859. Over time, it became a widely used, beloved hymn. This morning, I want to take us all the way to Mount Pisgah. But before we can get to Mount Pisgah, Pisgah, we have to take a journey. Mount Pisgah in the scripture is the end of a journey. And I'm going to show that to you in just a minute, but we, we need to take a journey as well to get to that passage of scripture and to guide us on that journey. We're just going to look at the words of that great old hymn. In verse 1, the, the song's says, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. You and I live in a world of care. What that means is that, that life is full of concerns. It's full of, of issues, of problems, of of, of need. That sweet hour of prayer is that time that, that we get pulled out of that world of care and into that prayer closet, into that time where it's just, it's just me and God. And notice that it's a sweet hour of prayer. Shame on us for making prayer a religious obligation. Beloved, we're missing the whole point when we do our prayers so we can check them off of the religious to-do list. Prayer is an opportunity to interact and to spend time with Almighty God. Today on Mother's Day, either be thankful for your mom who's no longer with us, or make sure you talk to mom today. Because that interaction is so important. If you're married, it's probably not going to work well for you to completely ignore your spouse this week. <laughs> if you have a best friend, you are blessed. 
that person's not going to be your best friend very long if you never speak to them. You see, we relate through conversation. Same thing is true with God. He doesn't intend to be a God way out there somewhere and for us to be way down here somewhere all alone, just religiously hoping to make our way up to Him. That's not His plan. His plan is to meet us and to interact with us. He calls us out of that world of care into that prayer closet where we might spend that sweet time of prayer. It bids me. The opportunity to pray bids me at my Father's throne to make all my wants and wishes known. We can be honest and open and real with Him and tell Him this is what I want and this is what I need and this is who I am. You'll never surprise Him. You'll never shock Him. Philippians chapter 4 summarizes it well for us. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Step out of the world of care and step away from your worries and anxieties and into that time of a sweet interaction with God. Let your requests be made known and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That first verse of the hymn even goes deeper in the next four lines. In seasons of distress and grief. You ever been through one of those seasons? You're going through one today? In those seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief. And oft, that means often, escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. How do we deal with, with seasons of distress and grief? How do we find the relief from those, those things? How, how do we avoid temptation? How do we deal with life's difficulties? We go to the Lord in that time of prayer, interacting with Him. Psalm 18 and verse 6, the psalmist also gave his testimony. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried out for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. It always does that. A sincere cry for help from a person of God always reaches the ear of God. In our times of distress, we call upon him. The writer of Hebrews reminded us that we can then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Imagine what that means that, that the God of all the universe has, has chosen to open His throne room as an act of grace that we might enter into His presence that we might bring to Him our need. The second verse of our great hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. Sweet Hour of Prayer. Thy wings shall my petition bear. In other words, as I pray, I am speaking my needs. 
And prayer takes those folk and takes my needs and takes them straight to his throne, takes them straight to the one whose truth and faithfulness engage the waiting soul to bless. We serve a God who is defined, who is described by truth and faithfulness. Because he is true, because he's faithful, we know he is waiting to engage with us and bless us through those difficulties. So 1 Peter reminds us that we might cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Not because he's a genie in a bottle and will give you everything you ask if you do the right religious thing. Not because he's a cosmic Santa Claus waiting to hand out everything on your wish list. But because he cares for you. Understand that. I don't think most of us get that. I think we get the idea that God loves the world. That's cool. That's nice. But more importantly than that, Scripture teaches us that he cares about you. If you were the only one here, God would still love just you. Therefore, we cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. We do that through that beautiful, sweet gift of prayer. That second verse continues, and since he bids me seek his face, believe his word and trust his grace, because he invites me to see him. In other words, when it says he bids me to seek his face, he invites us into a personal relationship made possible through his son, Jesus Christ. We can seek him personally. And when we do, we believe His Word, we trust His grace, then we know that we can cast on Him our every care and we just wait eagerly for that sweet hour of prayer. What must it mean to seek His face? Psalm 105 at verse 4, He says, look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. Look to the Lord and His strength. That is the essence of prayer, is it not? Prayer is basically saying, God, I can't, but you can. Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face. It's not about jumping through the hoops. It's about seeking Him, interacting with Him. And Scripture promises, if you seek Me, you'll find Me. A more familiar verse to many of us about seeking His face is probably 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. You may not be familiar with the address, but you're familiar with the verse. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, it's not just about the action or the activity of prayer, but it's that seeking His face it's that interacting with Him, that sweet hour of prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, 
and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. In that sweet hour of prayer that bids me to seek his face, I know he'll be there and he'll answer. And we come to the the last verse of the hymn. I was somewhat disappointed in our hymnal again. Last week, we looked at a song that had the word Ebenezer. I told you, open up your hymnals. We'll look at this hymnal. I will show you this. And I realized they changed the words. And Ebenezer wasn't there. They did that because nobody knows what Ebenezer is anymore. So they changed the words. This week, were you to look up sweet hour of prayer, you'd find the hymn but it leaves off this verse completely. I think because nobody knows what Mount Pisgah is. They leave off the best verse. Let me show you what makes this the best verse as we almost arrive at our destination, Mount Pisgah. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. May I thy consolation share. Consolation is that in prayer I am consoled. I find that peace. Let me share that with others as I go on my journey. May I, thy consolation, share while I'm on my journey until I reach my destination till from Mount Pisgah's lofty height I view my home and take my flight. Once I get to my destination, Mount Pisgah, when I get there, I'm going to look home and take my flight. Until that day, help me to let others know that they too can find peace and consolation in that sweet hour of prayer. So what is Mount Pisgah? If you have your copy of Scripture with you, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 1 through 4. By the way, all of this is in the Bible app if you find the event In the Bible app, we've got all this laid out for you there. But we're in Deuteronomy chapter 34 at verse 1. Let me read for you those first few verses. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. Now, The word Pisgah actually means summit. And so when when this song and other references uh, in in Scripture and, and historical references to Mount Pisgah, they are usually talking about what you and I might see on a map as Mount Nebo. Nebo was the highest mountain in that region. And so when you go to the highest mountain and you go to the highest point on that mountain, the summit, then they would refer to that as Pisgah. Mount Nebo at the top was Mount Pisgah, the summit. And so in verse 1 it says, Moses went up from the plains to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah. And the Lord showed him all the land. He got to look across the Jordan and see the promised land. Now Moses had been leading his people 
out of Egypt through the wilderness 40 years. You and I begin a journey with God and we go through the, the wilderness of life with Him. Many of us, I think, misunderstand that once we start a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that all of a sudden we're supposed to be able to soar through life and everything's easy peasy. Remember, the people who wandered through the wilderness were God's chosen people too. They had to wander through that wilderness experience. You and I go through the wilderness of life as we follow Him step by step through the way. And then when they got to the edge, Moses was taken up on Pisgah and he was allowed to look over the river and see the promised land, the land that had been promised to his people for generations. It says that he saw Gilead as far as Dan and Naphtali, the, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not go over there. You see, Moses had disobeyed God, and because Moses disobeyed God, God said, okay, I promise to take you to the promised land. I'm going to take you to the promised land. I'm going to let you see it, but you don't get to go in. Your offspring do. We're going to let them come right on into the holy land, the promised land. Moses then ended his life right there in that spot. Verse 5, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. He died on Mount Pisgah's height. One of these days, you and I will find our Mount Pisgah. If you've trusted in Christ, if you know Him personally, you're going to end your journey through life's wilderness on that mount, figuratively speaking. Life's journey ends there. And it is there that we get to look up and see the promised land of glory. The last part of the last verse of this great hymn says, the robe of flesh I'll drop and rise to seize the everlasting prize and shout while passing through the air, farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. On our journey through the wilderness, we find the sweetness of prayer. But one of these days when we get to Mount Pisgah's height and we get to see the lights of glory and we begin to leave this place behind as we go to our home prepared for us, we will be able to say, so long prayer, I don't need you anymore. Imagine never needing again. There's no prayer in heaven in the way we understand prayer. There's no faith in heaven 
We walk by faith while we're here and can't see. But there where we can see, we walk by sight. Face to face. Just imagine one of these days leaving all this robe. Some of us have bigger robes than others. Imagine leaving this robe of flesh behind. Being called up to glory as God and Jesus on the throne say, come home, servant. You've done good. No more prayer. No more need for it. Because we're already there.